The Security Service of Ukraine, or SBU, is the country's primary intelligence, law enforcement, and security agency. Think of it as the CIA, the NSA, and FBI all under one roof. Its headquarters sits on a highly fortified street in downtown Kyiv. Senior producer Sean Powers and I were there a few weeks ago. And as we approached, we could see sandbags and guardhouses gates and cement blocks, and lots of people in uniform with Uzis hanging around their necks. A staffer escorts us in. The place has a musty smell, like the carpets have been mopped and the damp never quite got out. And the man we came to meet arrived just as we were setting up. And here is and here our he is. hero. Okay, and here's our hero. Hello, I am Dina. Do you still me? Yeah. <laughs> nice to meet nice you. Nice to meet you, Lia. Ilya Vituk is the head of the SPU's cyber department. He's tall with a cropped beard and a shaved head. And he came up through the ranks of the intelligence service, what the U.S. intelligence community might call a company man. And one of his responsibilities is to keep Ukraine safe from cyber attacks. And it's also responsible for investigating war crimes. And we consider cyber aggression today, especially cyber attacks on civil infrastructure, to be nothing but a war crime. So these are all... We came to the seat of the Ukrainian intelligence community to get the story of a major defensive operation that took place in the weeks before the war. We've reported the American side of this story this past summer. A U.S. cyber command team secretly flew to Kyiv, and they worked with the SBU to hunt for Russian malware that might have been planted on Ukrainian critical networks in anticipation of the invasion. And now... We had arrived to hear Ukraine's side of the story, what they saw while working side-by-side side with American hunt teams. And indeed, they came here, Cyber Command team, they came December 2022. Uh, and probably for two months, we, we worked here together. Ilya provided new details about where they looked and what they found. Power grid, logistics and infrastructure, Military objects we inspected, analyzed together, we conducted, uh, let's call it threat hunting, because we knew that they probably would be under uh, massive cyber attacks. And it was indeed very, very useful and handy for us. There's always been a question about whether the hunt forward operation was one of the reasons why massive cyber attacks against Ukraine at the beginning of the war never actually materialized. Had these teams managed to remove bad things Russians had planted in key networks and Moscow only realized after it was too late? Ilya confirmed that the hunt teams had indeed hobbled Russia's plans for an initial assault in cyberspace. Their expectations were far beyond what actually happened. They thought that after these attacks, our digital infrastructure will be on its knees. But the Russians were wrong. I'm Dina Temple-Rust, and this is Click Here, a podcast about all things cyber and intelligence. We tell true stories about the people making and breaking our digital world. Back in June, we took you inside a hunt-forward operation to help Ukraine. 
We had exclusive access to the U.S. service members who lived it. Our partners asked us, can you please conduct any type of analysis you can on different systems that have been impacted by these cyber attacks? And so that's what we did. And now the Ukrainians are talking about that operation, too. Stay with us. In Norway, a woman's boyfriend forgets who she is overnight. In Detroit, a man is arrested, but he was never at the crime scene. In Spain, disturbing pictures of young girls have appeared, and no one knows who's behind them. Something strange is happening. A collision between people and artificial intelligence. Discover more in The Guardian's new series, Black Box. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes, Monday and Thursdays. If you're looking for a daily guide to cybersecurity news and policy, sign up for the Cyber Daily from Recorded Future News. It serves up the day's most interesting and important cyber stories from our sister publication, The Record, and then aggregates all of the big cyber stories you might have missed from news outlets around the world. Just go to therecord.media and click on Cyber Daily to get all you need to know about the world of cybersecurity right in your inbox. Looking back on it, George Dubinsky saw indications that Russia was planning to invade Ukraine months before it happened. Since late October, in November, we found some unusual activities amongst Russian hackers. And they started to change their nicknames, they left their usual uh, charts. These were little signs. He'd been tracking hackers who had been working for the Russian government, and it wasn't just that they had changed their handles. The hackers were disappearing from their regular chat rooms, like they were busy doing something else. And in retrospect, of course, George Dubinsky was exactly right. It was, you know, the, the, the first sign of some future attacks. And as you saw, uh, cyber invasion started before the kinetic invasion of Russia. And this wasn't just an idle fascination for George. It's what he does for a living. George was trained as a theoretical physicist, but now he's deputy minister for digital transformation in Ukraine. And part of his portfolio is cybersecurity. We see that Russia tried to explore the uh, attack surface of uh, our systems and to make this coordinated attempt to ruin our uh, infrastructure, chain of command, uh, and make their invasion, you know, easier. So he was actually watching Russian hackers ping Ukrainian systems and probe critical networks like the electrical grid or water systems. And the Russians were able to do a lot of this because a lot of Ukraine's infrastructure is a vestige of its Soviet past. Russians were intimately familiar with Ukrainian infrastructure because, in many cases, they had helped build it. Unfortunately, Russians, they know our architecture of our system. And they know the equipment which was installed because of uh, the big part of this equipment was installed or in Soviet Union times or later. What's more, even if they had been updated, the underlying technology is still the Soviet model. 
So Russians had insight into its vulnerabilities. For them, it's easier to understand what is the weakest point for attacks. And they are trying to uh, penetrate, they are trying to test our system to find these vulnerabilities and use them in some critical zero day. Which is why, in the months before the war, he flew to Washington on a special mission with a request. He wanted to convince the U.S. to send cyber protection teams to Ukraine before the ground fighting started to help Ukraine prepare and preemptively fend off the Russian cyber attacks that were bound to come with any land war. So George was talking to anyone who would listen. The Pentagon, NSA, and the Ministry of Defense. And after weeks of discussion, he got a positive response. Cybercom had people in mind who could lend a hand. They call them hunt-forward teams. Teams of military cyber operators who are experts in searching critical networks for bad things. They find malware and backdoors and bad guys in networks before they can do any damage. So were you the person, did you ask for the hunt teams to come when you were in Washington? You know, I would say, you know, I was uh, part of the system. In a lot of ways, Ukraine had been girding for crippling cyber attacks from Moscow for decades. Long before the war, Russia's nation-state hackers had targeted Ukraine's electrical grid. They'd been blanketing its people with online misinformation. And because of this long-running onslaught, years ago, Ukraine built one of Europe's most sophisticated networks. It was simply by necessity. We created plans, a cybersecurity strategy. Uh, we we uh, brought a lot of experts. But the one thing Ukraine hadn't done was create a dedicated cyber force that didn't just respond to attacks, but actually worked to prevent them, like America's Cyber National Mission Force at Cyber Command. And that's a big mistake. The U.S. Cyber National Mission Force has a variety of hunt teams in various stages of deployment all over the world. Typically, the cyber operations you hear most about tend to be offensive ones. Cyber teams that shuttered a troll farm in Eastern Europe or someone that hacked into a terrorist organization in the Middle East. Hunt teams are playing defense. They go after foreign adversaries and networks before they have a chance to do any damage. And the team tends to focus on what's considered the big four. The four nation states considered to be the biggest cyber threats. Russia, China, Iran and North Korea. Defensive operations like the ones the hunt teams focus on have historically suffered from the perception that defensive cyber is a kind of wait-and-see whack-a-mole deal. You passively wait for malware to show up, and then you react and take it out. Yeah, it's not a -a whack-a-mole. We go through the intelligence and targeting and planning process 100 times in a month. This is Ryan. He's a lieutenant colonel in the U.S. Army and was the deputy commander of a joint task force that specializes in hunting Russian cyber activity. He says defensive work is, in fact, a very active hunt. We understand our adversary. We understand the game. We look for the most likely place where we are to find that game. We're looking for behaviors. We're looking for their capabilities, the things they don't want us to know. After the break, we take you on the hunt, and for the first time publicly, reveal details of a recent operation. Stay with us. What if someone you love asks you to help them die? What would you say? This is the powerful question at the heart of the ultimate choice. 
The series follows the journey of Michael and his wife Anne as they grapple with his request to choose the way he wants to die. I'm Rob Cribb, and through their story, I learned a lot about my own family. I hope the show is a way to start conversations many of us want to have, but rarely do. The ultimate choice is out now. It is called Internet. I use the World Wide Web Information Superhighway. Cybersecurity. Why do things go viral? Click here. Putting together a hunt forward operation typically takes months. Embassies get involved, lawyers weigh in. There's lots of back and forth. But there was no time for that in this case. George and Cybercom agreed on the scope of the Ukrainian hunt forward mission in just 30 days. So quickly that just weeks after George Dubinsky went to D.C. to ask for help, the first wave of American operators had already arrived in Kyiv, about two months before the Russian invasion. They were wearing civilian clothes. They came in on commercial flights. And they had these things called hunt kits, basically supercomputers in a suitcase that fit in the airplane overhead. They came out of the airport and went directly into a special room where the Ukrainian and U.S. teams got to work. Ryan said it was basically a large, empty conference room. Big table, lots of computers, switches in the middle. A mass of boxes and wires. Putting the network devices someplace where someone's not going to step on them, trying to figure out who pairs up with uh, their, their counterpart, and then putting really, you know, that paper plan into action. They paired up, Ukrainian and Americans sitting side by side, staring at screens, pawing through networks. The ministry's George Dubinsky said it was a partnership where everyone brought something to the table. We better understand uh, the mindset and their specific, you know, language, specific tactics. That's why, you know, we, we together we will be stronger than separately. They were looking for anomalies, little hints that something wasn't right. The only issue the two sides ran into, Ryan said, was a difference in cyber jargon. And it's really funny, they'll have... Uh, a certain way of drawing uh, a network object. And the terminology gap had to, had to be kind of beaten before we uh, proceeded. After talking past each other for a while, they moved from words to whiteboards to maps and drawings. So you were communicating with pictures on a whiteboard instead of using a particular you know, term of art in cyber. Is that the idea? Yeah, absolutely. And then the boards and paper started coming out and we're all kind of sitting over this this big map and pointing, right? Uh, almost like any other military operation where you're looking at geography, we're looking at, you know, logical and physical space. And it didn't take long before they discovered something they'd never seen before. Wiper malware. And this is my first time discovering something so complex in the wild. This is Patrick. And the mission to Ukraine was his first deployment. When I was there, I was actually only 20, so not even old enough to drink back here in the States. Wiper malware is kind of what it sounds like. Malware on your computer that wipes your hard drive. When we first got it, uh, very complex malware, I would say. The people who wrote it seemed to really know exactly what they were doing with this. It was designed to look like ransomware. So it would pop up a little message on screen saying, you can pay X amount to get your files back. But when they analyzed it further, they realized that, in fact, it was not the run-of-the-mill ransomware criminals use to lock up your data and then demand money to get it back. And further, it became obvious that there was no method for this to reverse the encryption it did. At the end of the day, you weren't getting your files back, period, and stop. It was designed to destroy them. 
More than a month before Russian troops would cross the border, Ukraine found itself on the receiving end of dozens of these kinds of attacks. When we asked the American cyber teams how much malware they ended up finding in the Ukrainian networks, they declined to say. But George, on the Ukrainian side, told us there were dozens and dozens of pieces of malicious software in some of his nation's most critical networks. Really, they found, as far as I remember, around 90 malware samples. 90 malware samples. 90 examples of malicious code the Russians had created to wreak havoc on Ukrainian infrastructure. It would be sort of like preemptively discovering 90 different previously unknown types of Russian bombs that you could then study and defuse. So, as they studied those 90 samples, they were able to prevent a bunch of Russia's planned attacks. I asked Ilya, the SBU company man from earlier, if that meant that when Russians went to start an attack, essentially pushed the launch button, nothing happened. I'll be frank with you. Sometimes we witnessed just what you told about. So indeed, they failed here just as they failed with the Blitzkrieg. The Blitzkrieg, or lightning strike. Russian forces had expected to get all the way to Kyiv, but the Ukrainians' resolve, their tenacity in the face of adversity, surprised Moscow. It's just the same story with cyber. But indeed, this was not the result they were uh, actually counting on. He said it appeared that when the Russians realized their attack had been foiled, they became desperate, trying to break into really random things. We saw that they were like hunting high and low. So there were attacks on pharmacy shops, on toy stores, and they were attacking everything they could actually find. Ilya says that he and his team are still responding to a dozen serious cyber events just about every day. And most of these cyber attacks, we do stop on initial stages. Case in point, an attack they discovered a few months ago that had been previously unreported. Ukraine found Russian hackers were trying to crack into a company that supplied telemetry equipment to some of their water and gas utilities. And this was telemetry equipment that could uh, see the the consumption, uh, measure the consumption of water or gas. Telemetry equipment has lots of uses. It might monitor the quality of water, ensuring that it doesn't have too much or too little added chemicals or is drinkable. For gas lines, it might measure pressure or temperature basically making sure that the pipeline isn't doing anything that would make it blow up. The telemetry company periodically sends out software updates, the same way your iPhone every now and then does. And typically, you just download it without giving it much thought. What Ilya and his team saw was that Russian hackers were trying to sneak malware into an update like that, hoping to sneak into the gas and water systems undetected. And had the Russians been successful... So literally, they could... Uh, stop the water yeah, and flow of gas. It was part of a broader attempt to use cyber attacks to cause physical destruction. And we understand that they will continue to try to combine kinetic attacks and cyber attacks. And here they could also add problems with water and problems with, and gas is heat, and you understand, and what is it? Is This is civil infrastructure. So it it can and could lead to catastrophe. But because Ilya and his hunt team were proactively scanning for issues, they caught the malware and stopped it before that could happen. This, by the way, the Ukrainians did on their own. This was after the U.S. hunt teams had gone home. When I asked how they spotted the attempted attack, Ilya said 
he'd tell me after the war. But you should understand that there are some things that I cannot reveal uh, in terms of because some operations are uh, still in action or I cannot reveal some uh, successful stories because our adversary can understand uh, where we are inside and what we understand, what we see. So a lot of things that I cannot comment, or at least I cannot comment them openly. Most observers of the conflict in Ukraine will tell you three things likely contributed to the absence of any single spectacular cyber attack in those early days of the fight. The first was Russian hubris. Moscow was convinced Kyiv would fall in three days. And they figured a crippling attack on, say, the electrical grid would only anger the people they were preparing to rule. The second is that Russia had planned attacks, but they didn't come off as planned. Maybe because of the work the Ukrainians did with Cybercom before the war, or maybe because the Ukrainians have literally been hardening their networks for a decade in anticipation of a conflict just like this. And the third variable involves people. Russia's best hackers, George said, have just disappeared. Many of them just left Russia or trying to, to, to make a distance between them and what the uh, Russian government is doing. And Ukraine has this other slightly intangible advantage. First of all, we are creative. Nina, to be creative, you need creative people. Creative people like freedom. But Russia does not like freedom. That creativity, he said, explains so much about the war. We've seen Ukraine's scrappy, unexpected response to the invasion at nearly every level of this conflict. It's a weapon you can't buy. It has to come from the people themselves. And creativity, George says, is Ukraine's secret weapon. This is Click Here. Here are some of the top cyber and intelligence stories you need to know about this week. The European Commission sent X, the company formerly known as Twitter, a formal request for information following the spread of disinformation related to violence in Israel. Other social media companies like Meta got notices too. The commission says the companies may have violated the Digital Services Act because they allowed demonstratively untrue things to be posted. The DSA went into effect in July in a bid to hold large platforms accountable for spreading disinformation and hate speech. European Commissioner Thierry Breton wrote ex-owner Elon Musk and urged him to respond to the commission's request in short order. Musk responded on X, saying he was looking for more specificity about the disinformation to which they were referring. Meta, for its part, is providing information on the teams they have put in place to try to monitor this kind of content. The company behind a popular file transfer tool called Moveit is facing dozens of lawsuits and investigations following a breach back in May. In a financial filing, Progress Software provided a detailed breakdown of the costs associated with the Moveit breach. The company said it was party to some 58 class action lawsuits filed by people who claimed to have been affected by the Moveit vulnerability. 
A Russian-speaking ransomware gang called CLOP claimed responsibility for the hack. They've been specializing in targeting things like file transfer software. And finally, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA, said it will begin offering more information on ransomware gangs along with its bulletins about known exploited vulnerabilities. This kind of information was previously only offered through CISA's Ransomware Vulnerability Warning Pilot Program, which allowed organizations that enrolled to receive private warnings from the agency. Now, CISA will flag vulnerabilities known to be used in ransomware campaigns. I'm Dina Temple-Raston, and I'm the executive producer and host of the show. Sean Powers is our senior producer and marketing director. Will Jarvis is our producer, and Lucas Riley and Jade Abdul-Malik are our staff writers. Our editing team is led by Karen Duffin and Lou Wolkowski, and Darren Ancrum does our fact-checking. Special thanks this week to Darina Antonuk and Daniel Puchdarov for their help with our reporting on the ground in Ukraine. Our theme and original music compositions are by Ben Levingston. We also use music from Blue Dot Sessions. And as always, we'd love to hear from you. Please leave us a review and rating wherever you get your podcasts, or send us an email at clickhere at recordedfuture.com. And check out our website with details about our shows and our whole show catalog at clickhereshow.com. That's a wrap for this week. I'm Dina Templerest. We'll be back on Tuesday. Looking for more of the cybersecurity and intelligence coverage you get on Click Here? Then check out our sister publication, The Record, from Recorded Future News. You'll get breaking cyber news from reporters in New York, Washington, London, and Kiev, among others. And you'll see for yourself why it attracts hundreds of thousands of page views every month. Just go to the record.media.